thankful for the the beauty of the word of God thankful for the authority of the word of God the Bible says that you can receive the word of God with meekness and it's able to save your soul the word of God is already good seed whether or not it has an impact on your life is how you receive it if you receive it callously you receive it nonchalantly if you receive it just kind of haphazardly then you're going to find yourself having seeds scattered in your life that could have been grown to be fruitful but the the birds of the air the devil will come and and steal it from you if you receive it today as just some kind of old book just some kind of little sermon some kind of uh, just just a, just a message just something you could get anywhere then what could have been good seed to be fruitful will become overgrown with the thorns and the cares of this life but I promise you this if you receive the word of God as it is not a word of man but as the word of God and you receive it with meekness it will save your soul today I'm telling you, just just right now, Jesus is wanting to draw someone out of the very flames of hell this morning. I feel that so strong in the Holy Ghost that we are, that some of you here are on a precipice of eternity. And you're being weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Jesus is wanting to let there be freedom in your life and freedom in your mind and freedom in your heart. And how you receive the word today will determine whether or not you'll walk in freedom or you'll continue to walk in bondage. But freedom reigns in this place. Jesus reigns in this place. Jesus is the greatest power. Jesus is the greatest authority. I speak that against all powers of darkness and I speak that against all powers of bondage. I speak the authority of the word of God Jesus is the greatest power. The Bible says that devils believe in one God and they tremble. I'm talking about a God that's able to shake the chains off of your hands today if you receive the word of God with meekness today. Amen. Turning at John chapter 2 and verse 9. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine and knew not whence it was but the servants which drew the water knew now this is where the kjv they were they were the first to use emojicons little emojis emoticons those little like hey wink governor didn't know but the servants they knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. And I want to preach for a little while on this thought. Save the best for last. Save the best for last. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your presence that is here. God, we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that is here. I pray, God, that you would let there be an anointing that flows from this pulpit to the pew. And I pray, God, that you'd speak to our hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. 
As with everything, there is a way of the world, and there is a way of God. There is a, a way that seems right unto a man, and then there are paths that the Lord has. There's world's way, and there's God's way. And people will often shun, and people will mock the path of God. And they'll, they'll mock the, the course that God outlines, and they will mock the plans that God has because they don't understand it. But you and I have to understand something this morning. His thoughts are high above our thoughts, and his plans are high above our plans. And, and he's not on the same plane as we are. He is the God of all the universe. He is the God of all eternity. And his ways are beyond my ways, and his ways are beyond figuring out. He's a God that can measure the oceans in the palm uh, in the little divots of his hand. Uh, he's the one that could tell the sand uh, of the seashore to, to be a boundary for the oceans and say you can't pass this line. We heard about the, the uh, uh, volcano that just erupted that sent tsunami warnings into a great part of the world and the power of a volcano. God just jumps somewhere in the, in, in the ocean. He is a magnificent God. He is a righteous God. He is a awesome God. And he is above us. We are not on the same plane as him. And, and he can do what he wills. And he, he seeks counsel after his own will. And he's sovereign in everything he does. He's right. And he's, he's just uh, in doing what he does. Many things are contrary to our way of thinking. Paying tithes and offering for financial security doesn't seem to make sense to our plans. Loving your enemy and doing good to them that despitefully use you doesn't really make sense in our way of thinking. Becoming a servant in order to be a leader doesn't jive with our concept of what we think it should be. I remember Brother Walters would jest and say, how does a brown cow eat green grass and give white milk? And he would joke and say, there's just things that we don't understand. And I want us to consider Joseph. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to read about Joseph in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 39. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not that is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in the house than I Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass in verse 10, as she spake to Joseph day by day, say it with me, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. 
And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. We have here the story of Joseph. This is a familiar story to many people, and we find that Joseph was sold into slavery, and we find that Joseph finds himself in Potiphar's house, and Joseph was a prosperous man. And Potiphar made Joseph an overseer because he recognized that everything that Joseph touches prospers. Everything that he involves himself in, God blesses And Potiphar said, I recognize that in Joseph, and so I'm going to put him in charge of my house. And God blessed the house of Potiphar because of Joseph. It says that Potiphar's house, what he had in the house, was blessed by God. All that Potiphar had out of the house and in the fields was blessed by God. Oh, that you and I could live a life that would be a blessing to those around us rather than a hindrance to those around us. And, And Joseph was a blessing in Potiphar's house. The Bible says that Potiphar placed so much trust into Joseph that he wasn't even aware of all that he owned save for what he was eating at that meal. Don't even know what I've got in the cupboards except for the bread in my hand and the the meat before me. But I know that Joseph uh, is living a life that's blessed by God and he's taking care of everything. And so Potiphar had uh, a complete trust in Joseph. And we find that Joseph as a young man Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife, and temptation was strong, but his fear and his respect for God was stronger, and he responds to her and says, I cannot do this. I cannot sin against God. He recognizes that all sin is against God. The Bible said in verse 16 that she came to him day after day, the importunity of the world. We read about the, the parable of the man who knocks on the neighbor's door for some bread, and we, we read about the positive importunity of, of coming to Jesus and knocking and not growing weary in our knocking. But let me tell you, my friend, there's an importunity of the world at work in your life today. There's a world that's sitting on your doorstep, and, and it's knocking, and it's knocking, and it knocked yesterday, and it knocked two days ago, and it's knocking right now, and it will knock tomorrow, and it will knock on Tuesday, and it will knock next week, and it will knock next month. Because there is an importunity of the world. The devil understands that if he could just continue to come day after day after day and find you in that one uncommitted moment, find you in that one weak moment, find you in that one moment where you're fulfilling the lust of the flesh and not falling after the Spirit of God, he can come in and bring in and enter into your life all of the perversions of the world. And he understands that if he just keeps knocking, the statistics prove that pretty soon perhaps you'll open the door. You have to understand there is an importunity of the world. 
You, you have to understand the world's going to come knock on your So many people get this idea that when they live for Jesus, uh, they're never going to have a bad day. And when they live for Jesus, the devil's going to never uh, be on their back any longer. I'm here to tell you, my friend, until you get to heaven, there's going to be an attack on your soul. There's going to be the importunity of the world. You can let friends go. You can change phone numbers. You can move to a different address. But the importunity of the world, somebody's going to find you. A drug dealer's going to find you. Somebody with alcohol's going to find you. Somebody with a pornography's going to find you because the world is importunity and they come knocking day after day after day. And there's got to be something that rises up in you that understands that all sins against God and you get yourself ready and understand it doesn't matter day after day. It doesn't matter how many times the devil comes knocking on the door. I cannot sin against God. Man, not even speaking against the things that you can do against yourself. The disease and the, the perversion and the, the sickness and all the things. Not even talking about what you can introduce into someone else's family and the, the brokenness of the home. I'm talking about you got to understand sins against God. And so she doesn't stop pursuing. She brings temptation day after day. Let me tell you why. This made it in to the very beginning of your Bible. The Potiphar's wife came day by day. It's to show that you can live above temptation. It's to show that you can live above the knock of the world. You got people, well, I can't stop doing this. I can't stop smoking. I can't stop vaping. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop carousing. I can't stop sleeping with somebody. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And we have Joseph. I'm telling you, if in eternity, if God only pulls up one person, he'll pull up Joseph right next to you. Oh, I'm just, the temptations are too great. Joseph, tell me what you did. Oh, the struggle's too great. Joseph, go ahead and speak. There's going to be testimonies and witnesses against you. You can do it. But what you got to understand is that you're sinning against God, and you got to have a fear and a reverence for God that exceeds the temptation that you're facing. I mean, I would to God that the Lord would come up and just grab some of you by the neck, just shake you a little bit, and then give you a hug. Just shake you a little bit and then hug you. Maybe bring you in for a hug and shake you. Because you just you gotta you gotta you gotta get this. You this, this, the, the, the games have gotta stop. This, this, the the excuses have gotta stop. You can live above it. So you can be like Joseph. And you recognize that, Lord, I love you more than I love the world. I, I love you more than I love the things of this life. Now, what Joseph was being tempted with, Joseph was being tempted with immediate self-gratification. Joseph was being offered to drink from a cup that would provide immediate pleasure. But jo Joseph recognized something. He recognized that that immediate pleasure does not outweigh the long-term bitterness and the long-term sorrow 
and the downward spiral that sin brings into your life. He recognized that to participate in the immediate uh, would compromise the delayed. He understood that this cup, uh, while it might bring immediate gratification and immediate pleasure, would not be able to sustain him uh, in the weeks uh, and the months uh, and the years to come. And so he acknowledged his need to not participate in that. And he understood that the world offers a cup that contains its best at the first cup. There is a message from Charles Spurgeon. It's entitled Satan's Banquet. He describes four tables in Satan's Banquet Hall. At the first table, you find the, the, the prolificate, the one that is sexually immoral. And the devil offers him a choice of, of cups. The second table, you find another group of people seated. He talks about the self-righteous, the Pharisees, and the cups that they're presented with. At another table, you find the worldly, the worldly people that are seeking mammon, and they're offered different cups. The fourth table he describes as the one participating in secret sin and He talks about the cups that the devil provides him in this banqueting hall. But it's the first table that so captured my attention. It's the first table of the promiscuous, the man unprincipled in sexual matters. The man, when tempted, gives in that drew my attention. The first cup that Satan offered this one seated at this table in his banquet hall was the wine cup of pleasure. He goes on to say that this man did not intend to indulge much in lust. He did not intend to plunge headlong into perdition. He gives the illustration of a flower that's on the edge of a cliff. He's going to reach forward a little bit and and pluck it, but it was not his intention to cast himself over the edge of the cliff and destroy himself. This man thought, surely... He would not be the one to be destroyed. And he thinks it would be easy to take the cup, take a sip, put it back down just to test the flavor. He had no intention to abandon himself to the intoxication of the cup of pleasure that Satan presented to him in the banqueting hall. So he takes a shallow sip. He discovers how sweet it is. And Spurgeon says his blood tingles within him and What a fool I was not to have tasted this before, he thinks, was ever joy like this. Could it be that bodies could be capable of such ecstasy as this? And he drinks again, and this time he takes a deeper sip, and the wine is hot in his veins. Let me tell you, my friend, you want to know about the wine cup of pleasure? Ask Esau. You want to know about the wine cup of pleasure? Ask the prodigal son. You want to know about the wine cup of pleasure? Ask those uh, that only intended to take a sip. All they intended, they never meant to be falling headlong over a cliff. Uh, They never thought they'd end up in prison. Uh, They never thought they'd be homeless on the street. Uh, They never thought they'd lose their family. Uh, All they thought it would be uh, was one little sip, uh, and it became so intoxicating, they began to drink again and again and again, and it was Satan's best. But the next cup, Satan removes the cup of pleasure. 
and he puts in front of it a cup of dissatisfaction where you can't find satisfaction in anything that you're trying to do. You've already been involved in all the sin that you can possibly be involved in. You've already done everything that you can imagine and beyond that. And, and, and even then, it, it leaves you so empty. And so you begin to try to imagine new ways to, to get high. And you begin to imagine new ways to try to get that same taste that you had in the first cup. But the second cup isn't as good as the first cup. So nothing can satisfy you. Now you're spellbound to the sin. Now you don't get delight in sin like you used to. Now you realize that, 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 that it's all for naught, and you realize that the law of hell's house stands. First the good wine, then afterwards that which is worse. And finally, the final cup. Satan's banquet hall, it's no more the cup of pleasure. It's no more the cup of dissatisfaction and the inability to find a peace. But now he offers you the bitterest cup, the worst cup saved for last. And it's a cup of the grave. And you find your body is so broken. And you find your life is so empty. And the pieces of your life are so scattered. And now you find yourself drinking from the cup of the grave, the gnashing of teeth, the wailing of despairing souls. The proverb says, in the hour of temptation, remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house, for the lips of a strange woman drop as in a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil at the first cup. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell because hell's house stands with this law. First the good wine, and then afterwards that which is worse. Hell wants to get you hooked on the first cup. Hell wants to get you addicted on the first cup, uh, but they'll bring out uh, subsequent cups uh, that are poorer and poorer and more bitter and more grave until you die lost. Joseph finds himself being tempted with this cup of pleasure, but he rejects the cup of pleasure. His refusal to sin against God does not bring him instant gratification. His refusal to sin against God does not bring Joseph a spontaneous reward. Joseph is being tempted day after day after day, and in the midst of temptation, when she grabs a hold of his coat, he flees youthful lust. And you think, well, surely God's going to honor that. Surely God will bless that. No, there's no satisfaction for Joseph. No, you see, the first cup Joseph gets is a, he gets a cup of affliction. He gets a cup of bitterness. and he, he gets a cup of sorrow. And he's cast into prison for a crime that he did not commit. He finds himself in prison for something that he did not do. But even in prison, God blesses him. And even in prison, they can see that God's hands are on him. And the keeper of the prison puts Joseph in charge. 
and he recounts the dreams to the butler, the one that serves the Pharaoh the drink. He recounts the dream to the baker. He tells the butler, you're going to be restored. And he tells the baker, you're going to have the birds of the air come eat. That is the absolute worst thing that could happen into the mind of an Egyptian, to have your body spread apart because they thought there'd be nothing for the afterlife. And so you're telling the, 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 the baker that birds are going to come and they're going to eat you and you're going to be broken up across the, 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 the field. And you think, surely now the cup of, of sweetness is going to come. But no, 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 it doesn't. He drinks from a cup where men forget him. He drinks from a cup where for two years the butler forgets about him. And now Joseph is still in prison. But listen, God's still blessing Joseph. God's still touching Joseph. How in the world can God still be blessing Joseph? Because Joseph understood. It doesn't matter the flavor of the cup of the day. He's still faithful. It doesn't matter the cup I'm drinking from right now. God is still on high. He still sees the way that I take it. He still knows what I, where I'm at, and I can be faithful in the good times and in the bad times. We find that Pharaoh has a dream. Two years into this prolonged prison sentence, on top of the time he already spent, for a crime that he did not commit, you talk about unfair. We find Pharaoh has a dream. It's just happens to be in the presence of Pharaoh. Maybe his charger on a tray. And he hears a discussion of Pharaoh. He's like, oh no. I forgot to call him back. His text message is my text thread. It's Mark read already. I forgot to text him back. Pharaoh, listen, I made a mistake. There's a guy that you have locked up in prison that can told me my dream. It told me the baker's dream, and it came to pass. And Pharaoh said, well, get him up here. Get, get him up here. I, I want to hear this. And so Joseph comes up, and Pharaoh says, what's, what's this mean? And, and Joseph said, listen, God's the interpreter of dreams. God's going to let you know what this is. And he tells Pharaoh what the interpretation is. Seven years of, of, of feast followed by seven years of, of famine. And, and he's, he, he's now put in charge, and he's able to, to be second in command. And so he's, he's being brought out of prison, and he's drinking from a sweeter cup of consolation. And he's, he's drinking from a cup that's much sweeter than the cup he drank from in prison. And as he goes on his life, the cups are getting sweeter, and they're getting better. And now he's being out of prison in Pharaoh's presence, but now... We find that he is second only in, into Pharaoh in command of all of Egypt and across the entire kingdom. But because he did not settle for the cup of pleasure at the beginning, he's drinking from sweeter cups as the days go by. He went from the prison house to Pharaoh's house, and he yielded great power and authority, all because he chose not to drink from that cup of pleasure. We find that Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding. And they're invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And it's at this point that Mary comes and says, they want wine, but they have no wine. Just making a statement to her son. Jesus, I called you here because they want wine and they have no wine. 
Jesus looks at her and says, woman, what have I to do with you? Now, that was not disrespectful. He used the same term in John 19, 26. He's on the cross and said, woman, behold your son. He said, mom, it's not time yet. And she doesn't, doesn't acknowledge it. She doesn't say anything. It's like, <laughs> and only mamas can get away with this. Mom, and she says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. So he's like, tells the servants, go to these, these vessels and go to these, these firkins and, and, and I, I want you to, to take these six water pots of stone, some 106, 130 gallons of, of water, and I want you to fill them up. I want you to fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he tells them to go and, and, and draw this out to the governor of the feast and, and take this to the one that was requesting the wine. And they go and the servants go and they begin to, to dish out of the water pot and they begin to dish out of the, uh, what they saw be water and what they knew was water. And they put it into the cup of the governor of the feast, the, the man who had fit the bill, the man who was in charge of everything. The Bible says that when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast calls the bridegroom and says, listen, every man at the beginning sets forth the best wine. And when people are drunk, drink it and they're just used to it and, 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 and they don't care anymore, they bring out the wine and it just deteriorates. It, it gets worse and it gets worse. It gets worse. It, it, it's, 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 it's the way of the world. It's, it's, it's the way that the world operates. It's the, it's the way that, that life operates. You, you see, e even in life, the, the Bible says, that uh, remember your creator and the days of your youth. And as a youth, you've got bright eyes and you've got strong muscles and you've got energy and you've got all these things. Uh, but even life, even life has this idea that as it prolongs and it goes through, uh, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, uh, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they're few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the door shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of the music shall be brought low, and also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. And so it's talking about life gives you this this good cup you got the youth you got the vitality but then it begins to deteriorate and pretty soon the grinders teeth are missing and eyesight's dim you can't hear very well and the lightest things scare you and little little heights little heights scare you the keepers aren't very strong because life just has a way of 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 giving you the best first and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And the governor of the feast is so amazed that you would save the best for last. I've never been to another feast that they did this. 
Never been to another place where they would take the very best and bring it out to the last. I've never been to a place where they would, would do something so, uh, so uh, beyond the ordinary. Because he was used to how the world did things. He was used to the deterioration of the world. So he was used to the world promising so much and providing so little. See, the world gives the best at first to get you hooked on it and to get you to pursue it. Oh, and, and the world will, will give you plenty of excuses. You need the dope to get to sleep. You, you need the dope because you got a lot of pain in your body. You, you need the hit because you had a hard day. You, you need the drink to calm the jitters. The world will give you all the excuses you need to take the first sip, pull the first drag. But by doing that, what it does is it gives you the very best it can give you. And after that, it only deteriorates. You'll never get back to the first high. You'll never recreate the first experience. And you'll spend your life trying to find that which your soul longs for and which your soul craves for, but the world can't give it to you because it already gave you its best cup. So what you need is you need Jesus to step into your life. There's so much sim, uh, 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 shadow and type in, in John chapter 2. I don't have time to go through it this morning. But it's not just by chance it was a wedding. It's communion and it's relationship. It's not just by chance it was wine. The Holy Ghost is that wine. The Holy Ghost is that which we drink of. These are not drunk as you suppose. <laughs> Seems about the third hour of the day. But this is that which was promised a long time ago, and it came in a form that wasn't very uh, appealing, and it came in a form that didn't taste very good, and they, and they had to wander in the wilderness, and they had to do all these things. But now, now we've got this cup being presented, a cup of relationship uh, and a cup of communion. What you need is Jesus to step into your life uh, and offer you a cup uh, that you drink up and you never thirst again. And what you need is a cup from Jesus uh, that you can drink of and find peace and happiness and satisfaction and let me tell you as good as it is the day you're baptized in Jesus name and as good and as powerful as it is the day you receive the Holy Ghost that's just the beginning and it gets better and it gets better and better as the days go by it gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by you're not looking for the old you're present to the new it gets better and better and better I'm telling you, with Jesus, I'm not looking back to last Sunday. I'm not looking back to last year. I'm not looking back to last decade because with him, it's better. Today is better. Tomorrow will be better. Tuesday will be better. Wednesday will be better. Next week will be better because Jesus saves the best for last. He saves it for last. So we, we, we come to him. We drink 
from a cup of suffering. And we take up a cross and we follow him. And he makes no apologies. And he makes no excuses. He informs us that trials and tribulations will come. And so he makes no excuse for the bitter taste of the cup of conviction that you feel when he begins to talk to your heart and expose sin in your life. He makes no excuses for it. He doesn't come and say, I'm sorry, this is a cup of conviction. It's just, it's like castor oil. Just got to get it. It's good for you. No, 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 no. He says, you know what you got to do? You got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So you drink a bitter cup of conviction. But then we take that altar of repentance. We go to that altar of repentance, but then we were baptized in Jesus' name, and we begin to drink from that sweet cup of consolation, knowing that our, our sins have been washed away, knowing that there's no more record of sin, and, and then each day grows sweeter, and we're filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, and, and we have that, that new cup that we drink from, the, the, the wine of the Holy Ghost, and we begin to drink from the sweetness of it day after day, and we grow in him, and we mature in him, and we've grown strong in him, and, and we're planted in him. And each day, old song, every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. We grow in him. And when you begin to see Jesus face to face, and when you enter into the closest relationship and fellowship that you can with him, when you remove the things that try to disturb you and those things that distract you, we're going through a Daniel fast right now. Why? Because I want to see him more clearly. I want to remove the things that distract me. I want to move, remove the things that disturb my time with him, and I want to draw closer to him. I want to have a stronger relationship with him. I want a closer fellowship with him. And when you do that, you're going to say, he kept the best wine until now. Every time we have a revival, every time we have a gap conference, that was the best conference so far. And we're going to say that. You know why? It was. The 2022 year, if the Lord tarries, the things that we have planned and will participate in will be better than last year. Our prayer drive coming up in March will be better than last year. Jacob Conference in March, better than last year. Gap Conference, camp meeting, it's going to be, it gets better and better with him. Now, can I tell you, if your life is not getting better with him, you're sitting at the wrong table. If you find that your life is not getting better with him and it's getting more sour and more bitter and more difficult and, 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 and just things aren't tasting very good, you're at the wrong table. You, you need to change banqueting halls. You're, you're sitting at the table in Satan's banquet hall, and, and you got to get up, and you got to flee that place, and you got to run from that place, and you got to remove yourself from that place uh, so you can sit down uh, at the table of Jesus. Uh, oh, yes, the first cup might be a little bit uh, tough to get down. Oh, yes, there might be some conviction in that cup. Uh, but let me tell you, friend, when you drink that cup, uh, it's going to get better. 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 When the governor tasted the water that became wine, he didn't know 
of the miracle that had taken place when Jesus said, bring me pitchers of water, and they filled them to the brim. But the Bible says the servants knew You've got to be a servant of the Lord to recognize the miracle of transformation that Jesus can make in your life. You've got to be a servant of the Lord to recognize that he can transform what you put into water, into stone vessels. He can turn into wine. He can turn into something sweet. He can turn into something much better. But you, you, you don't get that not being a servant of the Lord. Listen, listen. That's not to say God can't bless you. God can still bless you in Potiphar's house. But God was not blessing Potiphar because of Potiphar. God was blessing Potiphar because of Joseph. You can drink the good wine last at a marriage supper if you're the governor of the feast and not know how a clue what happened. But until you become a servant to him, until you recognize that his hand can do anything in your life, and his hand can transform anything in your life, then once that picture's empty, your relationship with him is gone. Once Joseph leaves your house, things start to fall apart, Potiphar. There are some blessings that you're going to have just because you attend the house of God. But I'm here to encourage you. Don't let the blessings just be crumbs that you pick up and this is the overflow of the Holy Ghost. You need to make up your mind. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to do what it takes to walk right and to be holy. And so I can be a blessing unto the church myself and stop just being the recipient. I want to be somebody who's involved in this. I want to be somebody who's praying in this. I want to be somebody who's living this. I'll tell you what, you don't have your own relationship with Jesus. There's going to come a day. I don't believe that day is very far. There's going to come a day. Maybe perhaps somebody forgot to lock the front door. So somebody will be here. And I pray it's not nobody has a key to the church. God help us. That's the leadership. But somebody's going to come one day, and they're going to open the door on Sunday, and they're going to walk in here and say, well, this is strange. No lights on. I'll turn the lights on. And you're going to sit in your pew, and you're going to sit in your chair that you sat in service after service after service after service, and you're going to look at your watch and say, it's pre-service prayer time. Time for the musicians to come. And ain't nobody here. I don't believe it'll take that long, but maybe it'll take you that long for the realization to hit you that the church has been called home and all the blessings that you had before are gone because the church is no longer here. The only way to participate in the true blessings of the church is to be a servant and be in the kingdom. You're not going to get to heaven on your neighbor's coattails. You're not going to get to heaven just because you sit next to the spiritual one in church and, and their Holy Ghost spit hits you in the forehead every once in a while. You're going to have to get this for yourself. You're going to have to make up. I don't care. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me, and I understand between me and the cross, there's going to be some cups I have to drink of that might lead to imprisonment. It might lead to things that I get have to go through that I don't deserve. But if I understand, I keep my cross before me, his cross before me, heaven on my mind, I realize as long as I'm moving toward heaven, it's going to get sweeter and sweeter and better and better. So you gotta, you got to understand that he saves the best for last. He's chosen us 
to be the church in the last days. Don't, 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 don't get too don't get too big headed. But it's a humbling thing to me to think about Abraham being called out and being faithful to God. Humbling thing that Abraham saw the type of Christ as he did. Isaac bound to an altar and God will provide himself a lamb. It's a humbling thing to think about Moses seeing a a burning bush that was not consumed and receiving from God from the finger of God. The the, the law of God. It's a humbling thing that, that Moses would be allowed to be hidden in the cleft of the rock and the hinder parts of God to pass him. It's humbling to me David, a man after God's own heart. Solomon, who built the temple where they could not even stand to minister in it because the glory of the Lord descended upon it. It's humbling to me to think about Peter, James, and John being on the Mount Transfiguration. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Paul, man, Paul drank from a cup that was so strong it blinded him for three days. A cup of conviction that was so strong he couldn't see until he got to the house of Ananias and said, I'll tell you what you must do. I think about, I think about John on the Isle of Patmos. As the Lord unveils to him the end of days. And to know he saved the best for last. He didn't choose Paul for this year. He didn't choose Peter, James, and John for this year. He chose Aiden, Jacob, and Ethan, and Tyson, and Ryan, and Trent, and Cody. He saved the best for last. What an amazing thing to think. It doesn't make sense in my mind. It doesn't make sense in my understanding. But in God's economy, he saves the best for last. It's going to be a church. Oh, thank God for the day of Pentecost. And thank God for the 3,000 souls that were changed. But that wasn't the end. That wasn't the best. It can't be the best. Because Jesus saves the best for last. It it, it can't be that men and women just gathered in to say, what in the world is going on here? That that can't have been the best because he says the best for last. And he's positioned us, and he sees value in us, and he sees potential in us, and he sees the ability that we have when we're submitted and we're committed to him. He saves the best for last. He he, he understands that, that we have the power to turn the world upside down. 
as our musicians come, he understands that the church in this last day, he's positioned us. If they could turn their known world upside down back then, then we have to be able to turn our world upside down today because he saves the best for last. If he could go up to a man uh, naked without clothes and shackles and chains uh, in the middle of a graveyard, uh, and if he could walk to that man uh, and the legion of devils could be cast out and that man could be found sitting clothed uh, in his right mind, that could not be the pinnacle and that could not be the highlight that had to just be the beginning because he saves the best for last. couldn't be just one Ethiopian eunuch sitting in a chariot. Wanted to know more about this Jesus. And reading and studying and loving. It couldn't just be one Philip that would go to him and say, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Where, 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 where are you reading from? Oh, Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. As a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I could start right there and preach Jesus to you. But there can't be just one Philip. That couldn't have been, that couldn't have been the best Bible study that we're ever going to read about in the church because he saves the best for last. So what it tells me is sitting here are Philip's and Peter's and James and John's and Paul's. No, not of the first church, but of this church. Jesus said, these works you see me do, greater works than this shall you do. Now, I... I'm a firm believer that that's greater in, in, in magnitude, greater in number. I mean, when you, when you take somebody who's dead, you take that widow, and she's a widow, Nain, they bring that funeral pyre, pyre the beer, the funeral beer. They come and they touch that little boy, and he's life brought back into his body. I mean, when you raise somebody from the dead, I mean, But there is something greater. I tell you, if, if, if there was, if all of a sudden, heaven forbid, my son just drops dead. And he was up here. And everybody knew he was dead. And we laid hands on him. And the Lord raised him up. Man, you would leave this place and you would tell everybody you know. But can I tell you, that's not the greatest miracle. Trent, you're pretty close to a one-year anniversary. Like, right at one year. Hmm. That's the greatest miracle one year ago. See a sinner come to the altar and raise his hands, begin speaking with the tongues of the Spirit of God, gives the utterance. You who are dead in your trespasses and sins hath he quickened. That's, that's the greatest miracle. 
But because he saves the best for last, and I don't know where we're at in the last. I just know it's got to get better. It's got to be better than the day of Pentecost. It's got to get better than Acts chapter 8. It's going to be better than Acts chapter 10. It's going to be better than Acts chapter 19. Now, now let me tell you, let me tell you, in those periods of time, you, you got to realize Paul had great revival, but he drank from some bitter cups of being imprisoned and beaten. And in the midst of that, him and Pos, Pos, Silas have a, little, have a little song service that says, hey, it can only get better. He, he saves the best for last. It, it can only get better. So go ahead, Silas, strike up a song. What's that song we sang? That song we sang last week. Go ahead, go ahead and strike that song. That's a good song. So 2001, altars full of people getting the Holy Ghost. How amazing, how powerful, how wonderful. That's the greatest miracle, but it can only get better. And I'm here to encourage you to don't count the cup that you're currently drinking from if you're at the Lord's table as an indication that this is not worth living for him. If you're sitting at the Lord's table and right now you're going through a trial, right now you're going through some difficult times, don't let the taste of the cup deter you from the cups that are to come. Now, if you're sitting at the banquet in Hall of Satan, I'm here to tell you, don't expect tomorrow's cup to be better than today's. It's going to be much worse. Leave that table. As we stand here tonight, this morning rather, he saves the best for last. And if you sell out for the best that the world has to offer you, it's only going to go downhill from here. But if you'll say, nah, I don't want the, the cup of pleasure. Just give me Jesus. I, I, I don't want the things of this world. Just give me Jesus. He, he's, he's all I'm thirsty for. He's all I'm hungry for. I, I, I don't even care, I care about the flavor of the day. Just give me Jesus. Because one thing I know when I walk with him and I trust the process, every day is going to get sweeter. Every day is going to get better. Every day is going to get richer. Every day I'm going to have more peace. You might not have much peace of mind right now. Just stay at the table with Jesus. Just keep supping at his table. Just keep allowing the Lord to prepare you a banqueting table in the presence of your enemies. Just keep sipping from him. Just keep drinking from him. Just keep connected to the fountain. Just keep uh, proclaiming that all you want is Jesus. We're going to worship the Lord. These altars are open, but I want our cry to be, just give me Jesus.